Welcome to Cigar City Radio, episode number four. I'm your host, Randy Ojeda, and making the magic happen, Mr. Jason Solanez. I'm back. Oh, and we're never going away. Over the last few weeks, we've received a number of questions and comments from listeners. So to collect those in an easy place for us to check and respond, we've actually set up an email address, which is pretty simple. It's cigarcityradio at gmail.com. So any questions that you have, any comments, concerns, anything you'd like to know about our show, please use the email address cigarcityradio at gmail.com. Also note that this is not an email for show booking or for anything related to our Cigar City management business. So don't start emailing us trying to get signed through Cigar City Radio. This is strictly for listeners and people that have questions. We'd love to read some of those questions on the air and we'd love to hear from you. So please email us. We'd like to let you know about a new single and music video by L.A. psych band Send Medicine. It's titled Translucent and might just be their catchiest song to date. With a pop hook and a groovy guitar lick that will never get out of your head, you'll find yourself listening to it on repeat, like myself. You can find Translucent by Send Medicine on Spotify and Apple Music and watch the music video on YouTube. For everything else, go to SendMedicineBand.com. For this episode, we left our home court of Ebor City for a road trip to Old Seminole Heights, where we were given a tour of the home studio of Matt Reisinger, also known as electronic artist Friedback. If you've been around a minute, you might also know Matt from the Tampa-based pop-punk band Select Start. Matt is also the host of the hilarious Face It podcast with fellow Select Start members Patrick Geyer and Joe Guerra. So check that out, Jason. Another podcast from Tampa. Hell yeah, and it's good. It's really good, and it sounds really good because his studio is amazing. It was great to be there. There's so many synths, so many Apple products, and a tiny dog named Felix. Friedback's the real deal. He's only played live a few times, but it's an incredible performance with a mind-boggling electronic setup. His new album, Math Math, will be out this Friday, November 4th. He's got some shows coming up in the Tampa, Sarasota area. So for more info and links to all of his social medias, head to Friedback.com, F-R-3-3-D-B-A-C-K.com. So here it is, episode number four. Cool. Yeah, that works. Yeah. Friedback is the new project you're working on, electronic music. We actually had the pleasure of catching your show, what was it, a couple weeks ago at the Crowbar? Yeah, yeah. Um, you opened for Chrome Sparks. Yeah. And it was amazing for uh, for me to go in because I was expecting to see a guy press play on his 
computer and yeah. then, you know, kind of throw his fists up in the air and right. do that whole thing. Yeah. But then I saw you had this insane setup on the floor with like a lot of things that we're actually surrounded by now here in your studio. Yeah. You know, it's like you almost took this studio with you and set it up on stage. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I tried to. If it, like the first show I ever had was in April, I think, with this project, this feedback thing. And I literally was like, okay, how can I bring everything I have with me and make yeah. it like something I could set up in a day and like actually sound check everything and make sure it worked. And I literally brought everything I had besides like my desk. Okay. <laughs> and it took a day to set up like a physical day because it was just me plugging in wires and figuring out things and how I wanted to route it. And I would reroute things because I was like, ah, oh, that's not right. I want to yeah. maybe do this, make some efficiencies. And then... Yeah, it literally was just a sea of cords and wires and everything on stage. Luckily, I didn't have like other acts that had equipment. It was just like rappers and things like that. So they could literally just kind of come in and be in the front of it. Wow. So I didn't have to move anything around. So then after that, I was like, okay, I got I to gotta break it down a little bit more because I want to be able to like actually play a show with like other bands that I have right. to like kind of get on and off and how quickly can I. So I scaled it down to like my favorite pieces now. So like that Chrome Spark show I had yeah. like all of my favorite synths and it, it's pretty broken down i can set it up and break it down i i hire a tech mm. that kind of comes out but he and i can set up and break down in 20 minutes so wow that's Damn. not too bad yeah that's impressive yeah. yeah we couldn't even break this down in 20 minutes i don't think <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it, sorry in advance that's okay no i i totally understand i think that's what's amazing to me is that it's uh, live electronic music you know yeah. it's like you're you're actually really recreating the songs just using a whole ton of electronics. You know? Yeah, I mean, I, I want to be able to play music live. I mean, I think that's important. I think everyone who, who plays music doesn't want to just kind of play recordings of their music for people and, like, just watch them as they listen. I mean, that's cool if you're, like, in the car with your friends, but yeah. if you're playing in front of an audience, okay, here's my performance. Right. And I'm so much more comfortable playing live electronics than I am even DJing. Like I, I have turntable, like a little um, like DDJ turntable thing that I use once in a while, but mm -hmm. like it's really more of a hobby. Like I'm not a DJ turntablist or like even a good DJ for a party and I'll pick a song, transition, whatever. Live electronics, synthesizers, anything with knobs and switches and that I can plug into each other and have them all kind of talking at the same time. I find I, I become kind of more of a conductor of a of an electronic band than an actual <laughs> musician. Yeah, you're controlling the machine. Yeah, the machines. I'm telling the machines, hey, would you like to play this song? And they're like, we'll see. <laughs> you know, they just kind of do their own thing, and yeah. we kind of find I'm I'm pushing and they're pulling. Kind of, it's really it's interesting. It literally feels like if you get enough machines together, mm. the complexity is such that it starts to become alive. Like you cannot find. The ghost in the shell anymore it's literally just like that's alive like my system is alive and i'm talking to a poltergeist in this machine it's telling me things that i didn't think it would so then i use that to my advantage when i go out and play i'm like hey here's my poltergeist machine i'll just turn it on and you guys listen and we'll kind of have a conversation on stage <laughs> that's basically what happens <laughs> that, that's wild yeah <laughs> that's that's so that's so crazy thanks i've just never seen anybody do something like that yeah, I mean, there are a lot of artists. I mean, I certainly am not the first one to well, do sure, this. Well, sure, sure, um, yeah. There are a lot of artists that I will find are just extremely um, talented, live, improvisational, electronic artists. Mm -hmm. Names that come to mind, like there's this guy named Daedalus who's like insane. And he, he has very minimal gear on stage, but it's all max MSP. And he's using like a monome, which is sort of a, a 
push button device, kind of like a launch pad for Ableton, but it's like many more buttons and it has looping capabilities and all sorts of crazy interactions. It's just basically him and, and that on stage. And it literally looks like, I can't even describe it to you. He dresses in like 1800s coattail, like, uh. like the piano <laughs> coattail thing. Like he looks like somebody from like an Ichabod Crane kind of a guy. Right, okay. Uh, like he has the the bushy sideburns and everything else. And yeah. he literally just looks like a mad scientist on stage. So wow. guys like that or, you know, like Daft Punk, for instance, they mm. like, they play live. They have tracks because, of course, they've recorded albums and they have samples from albums or whatever. But right. if you look at the inside of their spaceship, it's lemur screens and like iPad surfaces that they yeah. pre-programmed their, their selves to like, adjust like it's an actual you know, yeah. spaceship. It does look a little bit like the Starship Enterprise. <laughs> yeah, right? it basically yeah. is. I, I love that too. And I'd love to see more of that. You know, yeah. I'm just not, I'm not as hip in, into the electronic world. It's something I mean, I'm exploring now, I feel like. Follow me on Instagram mm -hmm. and all the other social medias. I'll all likely all post, the social medias. All the social medias. <laughs> I'll likely post something about synthesizer culture, probably. And, you know, I have so many artists that, um, you know, I enjoy on Spotify and SoundCloud and, you know, wherever that really just have those like crazy electronic styles that like you wouldn't think of yeah. right off. Like it's not really what Skrillex is doing. It's not really what some of their huge DJ like David Guetta or something. Right. It's like a whole nother subculture of like actual synthesizer musicians. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely in this room. There are I'm, I'm counting what one, two, four yeah, I mean, five synths. Basically, if you look, anything that you look at is kind of a synth. Like this is a synth. Um, <laughs> that there is a drum synth. Listeners, he is pointing at uh, a drum synth. Yeah, something that looks like a Super Nintendo controller. <laughs> that up there is a synth. That's a theremin. Yeah, I love like the theremin. The, the most basic of synthesizers. Mm -hmm. I actually took a class at USF yeah. where I built a theremin. Did you really? Yeah, yeah. I was in the electronic music class. That's amazing. And yeah, it was yeah. fun. It was like a very basic thing, but I mean, it's, it worked. It's yeah. such a simple circuit. Like that circuit created electronic music. If that circuit hadn't existed the way it did, it wouldn't be the way that it is now. Like, and I think it was in the '40s, maybe early, like '30s or '40s. The guy who invented that thing was—he was just like he was like a radio engineer, mm -hmm. and he was working for like the Russian government making radio instruments. And he accidentally plugged two antennas into each other in a way, and it it made a noise essentially he was like oh my god what was that so then he yeah. was able to connect it to a speaker and then the way these two antenna interfere with each other is the sound that is created so it's like a it's a mad concept if you understand anything about like the basics of physics like mm -hmm. electromagnetism stuff like that it's literally just using electromagnetism to make noise it's crazy and if you want to see what this kind of shit looks like it's fr33d B-A-C-K on Instagram. Yeah, like uh, free feedback as if one word. Right. And then I want people to be able to find it on Google, so I replace the E's with threes. Okay. And it's also kind of like a, a nod to like the old hacker culture because I, I used to pretend like I was a hacker kid. Like, right. I, was on, like <laughs> I was on IRC and yeah. I thought, I, you know, I was, I was a hacker, but it sure. literally was not. You know, <laughs> it was all, you know, an act. That's where feedback comes from? Names are so hard to, to come up with. I think, you know, I was in a band a while ago and it was, it was a name, the name of the band was Select Start. And mm -hmm. that name came about before, you know, I, was, I wasn't the one to choose it. Yeah. It was a name that existed and it kind of made sense for the time. Like we were all Nintendo kids and mm -hmm. like it, you know, it resonated in some way. I actually remember, I think it was before you were in the band, but yeah. I remember uh, 
Probably, I think I got it on purevolume.com. <laughs> right. uh, yeah. It was the first select start single, if I recall. It was called Nintendo Nation. I think so, yeah. yeah. And it was sure. just like three-chord punk, yeah. but it was cool. It was it, it it gripped me at the time, you yeah, know, as a, was, as a mall rat type kid. I was definitely into it, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, heard, I heard it as a fan, and I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, I'm totally into this. Um, and the name made sense, but mm-hmm. the later we came in years as we were doing the band we were basically like i don't know if this name really represents us anymore like mm-hmm. should we just change it you know like you listen to a band like the get up kids or something like that like it's a name right. that doesn't really seem to at all make sense with their style yeah so feedback but- was kind of me thinking okay at first i was like i'm just gonna make music and not not get paid for it i had other jobs i was doing like sound production for TV and, and radio commercials and stuff like that. And that was kind of the paying the bills. And that still is. I mean, it's kind of my main gig. Sure. Um, but I was like, okay, I want to make music. That's just me. And it's not really for profit in a way. It's just like, what can I do without any creative feedback from a client? I'm so used to working on like, oh, you're working on this TV spot. And it's got to be this kind of style. And it's got to be this length. And it's got to turn here. And, you know, right. which scratches one itch. But there's this whole other side that's like the sound the soundscape is endless. So it's like there's 95% of the sounds that I want to make that I can't for this commercial that's like a grocery store, which is like a glockenspiel and, and right, a, right. you know, yeah. banjo or something. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, it was kind of like, okay, I want to make it for free. So it was like free. And then I like the idea of it being a, a kind of a conjoined word. Mm. Um, and I like the idea. I, at first, I was going to call it feedback loop because it was like a oh, feedback loop. I like that. Like it's a yeah. physics term. It literally is mo- most of what I do. Right. Like, it's very representative. Of, very yeah. representative. All the all the instruments have the ability to have feedback loops, and then them to myself. So like our relationship, mine and the machines, is kind of this feedback loop that we have together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was like feedback loop. So that's yeah. kind of like the original title. And then I, I kept saying it and saying it. And and then I was like, I don't know, it's too it's too complicated because it's like feedback loop, feedback loop. So I was right. like, I made some songs and just kind of like demo songs, and I was putting them out on Bandcamp and stuff like that a uh, year a year ago or so. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what should I call the album? So I was like, if I call the album Loop, then it would be feedback, and the first album would be called Loop. So somehow I maintain the word, but then I can just drop that make it freed back and that's now the, the there you go yeah. and that was the first one that came out the f- on on itunes yeah the, the very first one on itunes which it's it, you know it doesn't have the threes in the in the name so it's even hard to search if you yeah it's like okay search for my first album the threes are actually ease you know, good luck no so so i i try not to promote it much just mm. because of that just because it's too hard to explain where to find it yeah um but if somebody wants to listen to it i'll send them a link and um it was kind of the first thing that i wanted to do was just just make music and it was literally four songs that i made in uh one night i think the first take of everything was basically what i recorded wow and it was just like the very first track is just vocals for like Mm -hmm. a minute of the song yeah and it's just me singing and then i loop it and that's again free back loop whatever so then it was just loop of that and then i'd sing on top of that and i'd sing on top of that one and then so i basically do six layers of a vocal and they'd all be kind of warping in and out and three you know triad chords but then there'd be other phrasings and stuff like that once i had the six of those um then i would start adding in the synthesizers and seeing where that would take the song right and then i would just basically figure out 
the things as as I was looping it. I would never stop looping it. I'd just be like, okay, I'm gonna add a synthesizer in, and then it was like, ah, I don't like that. Take it out. And it was still <laughs> loop. Never stop. Never stop. Start singing vocals. I was like, okay, cool. Adding, adding, adding. So then I made just like these loops, essentially four different loops. That then I was like, okay, I want to make an album out of that. So in Ableton, you literally can just open up a song, which is all these loops, and then just hit record. And now you have the arrangement view where you're like, okay, I'm going to play these loops in order of how they should start and end. Okay. Like, should the song be vocals first or synth first or what should the peaks and valleys be? So I'll just play them all live as if I had a band in front of me and I was orchestrating them to play with all these vocal samples and such. And then just record that and put it on put it online. So with Ableton, like you sort of just build the arrangement as you go. Yeah, like... I mean, it's Ableton is so open in its functionality to like any way you want to work, uh, and that's really probably the reason I use it. Yeah, um, I've heard a lot of electronic artists are using that as opposed to you know Pro Tools or Logic or it's, something. It's amazing. I mean, I've used every program for years. I mean, I've been doing this kind of professionally for about 15, 16 years, mm. and you know, I started with like Pro Tools at first, very, very first which, you know, has its own downfalls in some ways, but it is amazing, and I yeah. still use it to this day, you know, in, in mixing. Uh, and then I used Cubase, and then I used Logic, and then I used Reason, Nuendo, you know, I just tried them all. Sure, why not? Yeah, and Reason was really cool. Reason, I think, is probably, if, if I didn't use Ableton, I'd probably use Reason, because it is a very, like, synthesizer type of program. Like, when you look at it, it's a rack of devices that have, like, physical digital patch cords going from like the inputs to the outputs going from this to that whatever anything you wanted to do so you could actually learn how to patch a device yeah, so it was kind of like yeah. it was a it was a nice digital representation of having a real studio with real gear and then ableton was like okay it's not going to look at all like real gear it's actually just going to look like you know uh really basic shapes yeah something from the future something from the future right (laughs) and the idea of making loops kind of like the central focus was just kind of interesting to me at first i didn't understand it really because i'm such a like a left to right timeline kind of a yeah i mean that's how most music is written yeah you know you play the song beginning to end right yeah so so it was weird at first but then once i got it i was like yeah this is it if i'm gonna ever make music it's gonna be in there and if i don't want to make it loop music i can always just press tab and now you have a left to right arrangement view, right, which right. you can do every other kind of recording and go back and forth so i'm like i'm gonna record a whole song in the standard way to do a song okay cool hit tab shift tab so you can grab everything bring it over and now it's like okay i want eight bars of this to be a loop here i want the next eight bars to be a loop four boom boom break it all up into all these pieces and then you can play the song live and that's essentially what the building blocks of a live show for my music is. It's just all these stems of things that I've recorded or live synthesizers on stage that are being performed by the MIDI that is inside of those tracks. Mm. It's like the computer is playing it like a player piano, essentially, yeah. on stage. And um, my job is then to just twiddle the knobs and make sure that the sound is where it should be. Now it makes even more sense when you describe it as orchestrating because yeah. you're basically, you know, you have this bank of sound and, yeah, and, exactly. and stuff and you can just... Yeah, you just throw it out. Play, like, once you have a bunch of songs, now you have one master session. So it's not like every song I'm like, okay, thank you guys, open up a new session, wait five seconds, play. It's more like the session has 20, 30 songs in it that Mm. are all some area of being finished. Could be just one quick little eight-bar thing that I thought about and it's a couple cents here or there. Could be a full song, whatever. 
And then I can just kind of pick and choose. Okay, I like the kick drum from this song. What would happen if I put the bass drum from this song with it? And then what would happen if instead of playing the recorded bass part, I had it play that note into the Voyager? So then I can, you know, just do some new arrangement to that piece or whatever. Yeah. So. And how do you keep track of all that? Uh, I, I don't know. I think it's just how my brain is wired. Yeah. I think I, I see it like seeing the matrix. Like I can, <laughs> I understand everything about what's, what's here because I, I, uh, for fun, like read manuals and <laughs> like take, take things apart yeah. and try to figure out how they fit together. And like ever since I was a kid, I was like, the computer repair guy for my family and like, mm. oh, we got a Roku box. How the hell do you put that into a TV? And it was like, don't call a cable guy. I got this. Yeah. <laughs> and I just kind of... a unicorn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so it's just, yeah, gear was... I really kind of gravitated towards it. My dad was like a computer programmer and he made mm. like computer games on like floppy disks back in the day. Yeah. And um, so we had computers in the house, like not just one, like a lot of servers worth yeah. of computers in like the garage. So like I would get one of the computers that were about to be like phased out and it would just be in my room. So I was like, I had, I was like playing, you know, Oregon Trail and stuff like that myself, not having to like go to school and like wait my turn. Yeah. It was like I had that copy of that at home. <laughs> right. Um, which I think is super important. Getting the young next generation of people things as quickly as possible that they're going to have to use in the future is like paramount. Like, yeah. like I know that's weird for like, for parents to advocate, like put an iPad in front of your kid and just like never take it away. <laughs> Cause like, <laughs> honestly there is something to that. And it's not that, you know, it's going to make the kid just like, you know, have less of an attention span. It's everyone's going to have less of an attention span. That's just yeah. the way of the world. He won't be the only person. He won't be the it. only person. Yeah. yeah. He, he will, he will have already kind of, you know, made the beginnings of his brain connect in the way that the next generation should. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you can't stifle that next, like VR, for instance, if I put on a VR helmet, I'm going to get sick, you know, at some point because yeah. my brain just doesn't get it. I'm 32 years old. I have no idea how my, you know, my vestibular system is not going to go like, Oh yeah, you're, you're walking on this trail. It's going to go, no, this isn't right. Like let's throw up together. <laughs> and like, that's not great, but you know, yeah. that's my physiology. That's where my brain's at now. But if you're a baby and you have a VR helmet on right. and you're perceiving the world through that process, your brain isn't going to think that's weird. It's going to be like, oh, yeah, this is just what we do. So now this kid can literally live in a VR world like in the Matrix. <laughs> and it's actually kind of nice. <laughs> I guess. Like, I don't know. But I guess it's kind of like, you know, where we, we can type well. And yeah. like my parents cannot type well. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and All that's because just... we took the classes. And, yeah. And that's yeah. because we were given computers from a very, very young age. Exactly. You know? I can so. play Doom really well. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Same. <laughs> yeah, no, like I have some friends, some like older friends who uh, uh, will just never play, like they love video games, but yeah. will just never play a first-person shooter because they can't make the jump to yeah. be able to control your right. vision and movement at the same the time. The twitchiness it yeah. takes. I mean, you really got to be quick, especially, you know, you're playing other people, especially now, nowadays right. online, that do this all the time. So their brains are like, and they're fairly young normally. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you're... You'll you'll be lucky if you win multiplayer games nowadays unless you play all the time right. or you're really young. Um, yeah. But when we were a kid, you know, it was like land parties and stuff. So just like me and my buddies, yeah. like all in the house that were like, I know I'm better than these four guys. Right. Like we've played, <laughs> yeah, yeah. we've played Halo 2 enough to know, you know what I mean, or whatever. Yeah. Like 
I'm just curious about what skills are going to go hand in hand with what the kids are doing now, like growing up with an iPad and growing up in, with that stuff. Because yeah. playing video games has given us skills that we didn't expect, like yeah. being able to drive and text. <laughs> sure. <laughs> not not yeah. that that's good. But yeah, we're not advocating. Do, do not drive. Yeah, please don't drive people. and text. Yeah. But yeah. Um, <laughs> but people are able to do that. Not that it's safe. Yeah. Um, usually these skills come hand in hand with something else. So what is VR going to come hand in hand with? What thing outside of VR is it going to improve for these people? That's a great question. Um, I don't know yet because that's kind of the weird thing about the future, right? It's like yeah. technological growth is moving so quickly now. Yeah. For you math nerds out there, like the exponential curve, right? Like when you look at an exponential graph, the first bit of it, there's no change. It's literally just like 0, 0 0.1, 0 0.2, 0 0.4. But then it's like point, you know, 0.5 and then 5 and then 20 and then 30. You know, it yeah. just it expands so quickly that, you know, before you know it, you've doubled to infinity. Yeah. In other words, it's know your logarithms, kids. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, and learn so, to code. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. It's really important. I mean, I don't know if you'll really need to know, like, the, the math of it too much mm -hmm. anymore because it can get really complicated and, like, all these new code languages are basically just, like, built on the backs of other code. So it's, you don't need to know, like, the nitty-gritty of it. You can just type in, like, video enter and it's right. like now you have a video patch that would have taken a year to figure out you know? <laughs> right, right. and that's somewhere online for free yeah so it's not necessarily you need the math but you need to understand how things work how signals travel io gates and like if you can figure out what a circuit does you can figure out what a computer does just on its basic functionality like you can you can figure out a lot of things yeah I noticed that you have a lot of Moog. Is it Moog or Moog? What is the official yeah, pronunciation? We, we got into this uh, in the car on the way here. It's, yeah. It happens with a lot. Of, I mean, it's it's a hot topic for sure. I have been a fan of the company for a long time. I've known people who say it every way. Okay. I say it Moog. Moog. Yes. And right. the reason I say it that way is that's the general pronunciation for like North American dialects. Like Moog is just what it would be because the guy, it's a guy's last name. Robert Moog, he calls himself that. His family calls themselves that. And it's a, I think a Dutch word or something like that. So yeah. like originally it was moch. Yeah. So like, <laughs> he doesn't yeah. say it that way. It's but, like you know. a Skyrim shout. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. It really is. Um, and then for the British uh, fans of the Moog synthesizer, it's almost ubiquitously Moog because mm. that's just kind of how the Brits say it. Right. So if you say it that way, it's not wrong. It's just like that's kind of the English dialect. It's kind of like, kind of like saying like if you were if I was to write the word color and put a u like o u r at the end. Yeah. If I was writing it, it'd be like, why is he like? Mm. Are, you, are you from England? Like, yeah. why would you say it like that? What are you driving a fucking loo? <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> exactly. So so yeah, Moog is is how I would um, ask people to say Moog. So you you're sponsored by Moog, but I, I feel like it's more than just you know you take a picture and post it on Instagram and you tag Moog. It's like you really like every all of your gear here for the most part is Moog. It seems like yeah, I and mean, and you are a really big advocate for the brand in general. Yeah, it it was one of those brands that like Nike is to some kids where like they just they will buy every sneaker and that's just because it it resonated with them. You know, yeah. The Moog synthesizer was like kind of what got me into music in a sense. Like I, I had played the bass guitar because, you know, my friends when we were young was like, I'm going to play the bass because that's the instrument that I would be good at, you know, and I've never <laughs> picked it up before. It was just kind of a, a social game. And it was cool and I liked the instrument a lot. But then 
I didn't really get infatuated with music until I understood the synthesizer. And the first synthesizer I ever heard in person was the Moog Prodigy. Which is sitting right next yeah, to you. which actually. I have. I have yeah. one. I didn't own one at the time. It was like I was in a ska band. I played bass. And we were like, we want a Moog. And I didn't know it was even Moog. I, I thought it was just, I just said, I said a synth. Right. I didn't know what that meant. It was like a, th- a synth. At that time, I, I didn't really know the difference between a keyboard and a synth. Yeah. And this guy was like, oh, I got one. I'll bring it. And he brought this like wooden box with keys on it. And I was like, okay, this is new to me. Like I was fairly young. I was like 13 or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I was pretty young. And um, yeah, he, he brought it over to the practice space and he plugged it in and just pressing a note and turning a knob and it made a sound I'd never really thought of before in a sense. It didn't sound like anything had hurt. So I was like, yeah, that's awesome. I love that. So then I just kind of wanted to know more and more about the instrument. And then I found that uh, the, all the history about it, it's basically like the first synthesizer company ever like Mm -hmm. it it predates mostly everything like the term synthesizer was coined by the engineers of of the synth and it was like a local or you know uh, an american company from new york at the time super small um started from a guy who like was building theremins and like he just was like oh let's let's plug these boxes together of circuits and see what happens and that was like the modular synthesizer so you Mm -hmm. see like a room with synths it'd be that was one of the original ones was the moog modular so then I started playing more and more, and I bought any synth I could afford. You know, I, I, at the time, I definitely couldn't afford a Moog. So I had, like, you know, soft synths, and I had the Alesis Micron, and, mm-hmm. like, you know, all these just random, you know, cheap Guitar Center synthesizers. And then when I could afford uh, my first synth, I got a Moog, uh, Little Fatty. And great name for a synthesizer. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's PH. <laughs> yeah, of <Yeah>. course. <laughs> uh, so I got the Little Fatty, and it's a, it's a cool synth really fun and i was in a band at the time select start and i was touring um with the band with the synthesizer and at the time myspace was huge and that's kind of like where our band um resonated most online yeah. at the time it's kind of what got us to where we were so there was a moog myspace account <clears throat> which had pictures of artists and their like albums and I had these pictures, so I was like, oh, you know, message him, like, here's some photos if you want to put them on your thing. Like, I'm a Moog player. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not sure how to yeah, say it, yeah, but I'm yeah. a Moog guy. You're a Moog tapper and yeah, turn Moogist. Turner. Yeah. Moogist. Yeah. And this guy named Jason wrote me back, and he was, like, the sales and marketing guy from Moog. And at the time, you know, there wasn't really social media, so they didn't, like, have interns, like, ma- maintain their social media. So it was, like, the guy who, like dealt with artists essentially was mm-hmm. the guy who I sent these artist photos to and s- nicest guy you'd ever meet we corresponded a bunch online as I toured I would like go through at, now they're located in Asheville North Carolina mm-hmm. so we tour through Asheville and I'd be like can I stop by the factory and they're like yeah come on over <laughs> and it literally is like Willy Wonka's factory it's like yeah, you go for, in for for, synth- for synthesizers yeah, yeah it literally it's like it's it's since everywhere the eyes can see there's you know like workers sitting with devices and headphones and oscilloscopes you know just (laughs) just slightly calibrating things there's a whole rack of like 50 or 60 of the same synthesizer over and over again like like terminator style and they're all plugged in and on because they have to do like a like a burn-in kind of a thing where they're just running for like 38 hours or 48 hours straight or something i'm not sure exactly um so i was just infatuated with the brand and uh you know at the time 
I wanted to know about sponsorships because we, we had like a sponsorship from Fender and we had a couple other things. The band was getting mm-hmm. you know pretty cool, but we weren't like signed. We just had basic kind yeah. of. And this was a time in music where yeah. brands like that were much more willing to give touring bands oh, yeah. um, sponsorship deals because like you said, there wasn't that much of a social media thing exactly. going on. You know? Yeah, so. anyone that was that was making noise with something that they used, they were like, yeah, just here. And it wasn't like, here's some free stuff. Like, I've never had that kind of a sponsorship. Mm-hmm. I'm sure people have those sponsorships. Yeah. Out there. It's more like, here's it at cost. You know what right, I mean? Right, right. Which, for some of these devices, is is astounding kind of how much it costs to build something. It's, you know, barely yeah. even as much as they cost to sell it. Yeah, so basically, I was asking about sponsorships, and, you know, Jason was very kind to say, you know, we, we don't really... We don't do that too often. Like we have some artists that do, but the roster that they had was like, you know, Madonna's guy and, you know, whoever, like the biggest bands at the time. Right. So I was like, okay, yeah, well, someday, <laughs> whatever, that's fine. And then, you know, we, we were friends still for a little while, email back and forth. You know, he had a baby. I was like, oh, how's Gus? And we uh, came, went yeah. back and forth. And just, again, great guy. And he was just like, you know what? I think it's about time, like, we get you sponsored. And it was one of those emails I got when I was touring. And I was just like, I just couldn't believe it. Yeah. yeah, there was a contract in a PDF form, and I was like, this is real, cool. <laughs> Signed that, and then I got another contract a couple years later, and I'm still currently on that contract, so hopefully when that's up, I can get another one. And yeah, But yeah, I, I just, I love the brand. They're all great people. They, to me, started the movement, mm-hmm. and they continue to inspire the movement. Like, the newest synthesizers that they make are amazing and mm-hmm. you know for a while they were really priced out of a lot of consumers hands because it takes so much money to, to build something of this kind of quality but now they're doing like Eurorack gear so like you can buy a Moog synthesizer for just a couple hundred dollars as you know before it was a couple thousand sure. a few thousand yeah and it is ushered a whole new wave of kids into the into the family and they're all kind of making just insane music with it yeah know? and I feel like it fits a lot more for the type of music you're making now as opposed to select start. Yeah, know? it does. I mean, I, I kind of always wanted to do something like this, but you know, I was an engineer who recorded a band who at the time was select start. And then I was like, they're like, Hey, do you want to be in the band and like play and we can tour? And so I kind of joined to like be the accessory musician guy, yeah. <laughs> which is so much fun. I loved it. But like, there was always a little part of me that was like, I wish it could just be me and my synths. Mm-hmm eventually when it came time to actually like stop touring and get a real job and um you know pay bills and stuff like that i now worked in a studio and i had a place to put my synths and a place to buy more and add more so i could really even advocate for the brand more because now okay i can actually afford some of the more expensive ones and i would love to just have a nice one that's like the flagship synthesizer from moog and say hey any musician that's interested, let me know. Like, come over, play it. Like, I can teach you everything about it because I, yeah. I, I live and breathe this kind of stuff. And I, when I was a kid, I would have loved to, like, know a place that had that kind of availability, but it just didn't exist. Yeah. So it's kind of what I want to hope to do. And that's what you're doing here in the studio. We're in Seminole Heights right now, yeah, which is right. uh, the new, I guess, it's, is it the hip district now in Tampa? It, yeah, can Tampa. We, yeah, said that? Yeah. yeah, Tampa has you know, been growing. It used to be like every 10 years, it was, it was quite different, but now it's like every year, every couple months. And I think that's pretty, pretty much everywhere. But yeah, Seminole Heights is becoming one of those places that like a lot of cool people that, you know, want to kind of build something themselves. It's like the, the rent's not as expensive as in the middle of downtown. And you can Mm. kind of, you know, like I bought a house because, you know, it was the opportunity to like, not worry about my neighbors Mm. too much. You know, if I was like, 
butt up against somebody like in a condo, which was where I was living before. I couldn't yeah. do music in my house. You're right. So I bought it because I was like, well, I want a place to make music. Seminole Heights is a great place for it. Super yeah. quiet. All of my best friends that live in the area like own cool restaurants and bars in, in the area too. So like, yeah, there's, there's a lot going on down here now. <laughs> yeah, it's super yeah. cool. I don't think I could ever get zoned re- uh, commercial where I currently live. Mm. But I would love to actually make this a, a place that people could stop and like, you know, come and check out synthesizers and like make it like a storefront in a sense, like a place where I could actually advertise and not just be like some hidden secret like passage kind of a place. Yeah. You know, because I can't really have that many people over because, you know, where do they park? It's a neighborhood. Yeah. It has to remain your secret lab for (laughs) a little while. For a little while, yeah. yeah. But the plan is to at least introduce it to, like, friends and kind of get them to understand what it is. And also, like, half the house is a studio for synthesizers, and the other half is, like, a bar. And that's kind of the other side of what I am hoping to be a part of as well, is, like, my girlfriend's in the bar culture, and she's awesome, and she has her thing so that she can kind of be the drinks to like the music and then have yeah. like a drinks music night where people come over and just like jam on synthesizers and, and drink cocktails. Uh, yeah. When you do that, please yeah. invite us. Like, yeah, we, <laughs> this, we will. It sounds like a really good time. And this is a really cool place, man. It's, Thanks, man. Uh, thank you for uh, having us here at yeah. your place to talk music. So before we Absolutely. go, yeah. I wanted to just ask you, so you do have a new record coming out, right? Yeah, I do. So it, it, there's a record I, I produced and it's six tracks. And I recorded everything here and mixed it here and had it mastered at a studio called Earth Sound Recordings in uh, Valdosta, Georgia, by one of my best friends in the world, Lee Dias. He is mm. an amazing engineer. And I've worked with him. Almost all the select start recordings that ever existed was at his studio. Right on. Great guy. And so I wanted somebody that I could trust with the masters. And I didn't really want to just find a mastering engineer that, like, a mastering engineer to the stars, and then it would just mm. be like, oh, yeah, I'll just turn it out, you know, whatever. Yeah. Here's, give me your money. And you recorded this to tape, though, right? So. Yeah, so the studio itself is sort of a hybrid studio. So I have a Universal Audio Apollo system that's my, like, digital interface, so I can record into Pro Tools and out of Pro Tools or into Ableton and out of Ableton. So I multi-tracked it, essentially, in Ableton on my computer, and then once I was ready to mix down, essentially, I mixed it down to tape. So... It's basically in the old days, you'd have a multi-track tape recorder, like 16 channel or 24 channel, and then a two track. And when you're when you have all your faders up, you hit play on the 16 track and then it goes from left to right. And you're mixing with your fingers to this two track tape, which is recording. And then once that's done, now you have a stereo image of your recordings. And that's what I did. So, yeah, this is a an analog tape mix. Wow. That analog tape electronic music. Yeah, mix. right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's it sounds so much better in ways I can't even describe to you. Like yeah. I I before you guys leave, I'll probably just put it on and let you hear it just in the room because it doesn't even sound like it it's insane. I can't even describe it. Well, yeah, let's do it. When can we expect the new record? So yeah, new record. The plan is to put it out probably November fourth, I think. That was that was what I had in mind. I mean mm. it's gonna be on online soon. I'm guessing that the fourth but yeah, you can follow me at freedback.com, which is F-R-3-3-D-B-A-C-K.com. And I'm going to have more shows. I, I have two more shows this year that I haven't announced yet, but they're booked and all ready to go. And so yeah, check the website for that. Definitely. Yeah, and yeah. also I was going to say, I got a, I got a plug uh, of another podcast. We didn't even talk about your yeah. podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we don't have to, trust yeah. me. You guys, you guys can figure it out. Me and two of the guys from Select Start have a podcast where we talk about Facebook 
And um, my position is I am kind of bothered by most things on Facebook, <laughs> especially the things that are shared incessantly. To me, it's a, there's a lot of noise. Yeah. And one of the guys on the other show, Joe, he loves it. It's like he loves how crazy these things can get. And we argue for 20 minutes about it every week. Um, and we release it on Friday. It's called Face It Podcast. All right. So yeah, faceitpodcast.com, I think. We're on the podcast app on your on your phones. Yeah. You can look at it. Uh, so definitely, yeah, check out the Face It Podcast. There should be more quality podcasts coming out of Tampa. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. Like When I heard your guys' podcast, I listened to Junior Boys one, and it was literally just, you know, you guys posted it on Facebook. I was like, cool, another podcast. Yeah. And it sounded good, and I was like, oh, cool. It's like, I'm, we're not the only ones. I can't think of any other podcasts in town, so if yeah. you guys know of any that I could check. Boldly Going by Jason Soul. He does a lot of charity events and stuff like that. Yeah. He has like a laundry project where he goes to other cities. and Boldly and Going. Yeah, Boldly Going is Sweet. a podcast. And he's an excellent person. He always has some interesting guests. So yeah. I recommend that Love one. it. But yeah, if you if you have a podcast, hit us up. Yeah. Like, let's talk. Let's like, let's like make a Facebook group.